Chapter Two of Laughter Limited. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marty on the Central Coast of California. Laughter Limited by Nina Wilcox Putnam. Chapter Two. Of course, if I were to come out to Los Angeles, I says languidly, it would have to be made worth my while. I really can't afford experiments. Hollywood is where you'd go, says he. That's the real picture center. And, of course, you couldn't expect to make a million right off the post. A bit would be as much as you'd be likely to pry off for a while. But even seventy-five or a hundred a week is enough to exist on until you get on your feet. As I was saying to Bill Hart the other night over at his place, Bill, I said, the trouble with pictures is that there are not enough people in them willing to start at the bottom. They all want to jump in at the top. I'd start at the beginning, I said breathlessly, and I'd manage on seventy-five a week. Why, Mr. Strickland, I never received seventy-five dollars all at once in my life. Do you think I could make that much? No kidding? He laughed in that easy, refined way of his, showing his white teeth awfully sharp under the neat little dark mustache. Say, listen, Bonnie, he says, you'd knock em cold out there. Why, you draw a job at that price twenty-four hours after you've landed. Your words are like music, Stricky, I says right back at him, first name and all, just to show I was no amateur. But I don't see how I could get away. Say, listen, he said, why not come out? Think of Hollywood as compared to this dump. No cold, no rain to speak of, lots of sunshine and flowers, all the year. And the beaches. Wait until you see the beaches. You couldn't give me the east. Not after living ten years on the coast. Why, there's nothing to it. He meant no argument against it. I gave a sigh and stared about at Bert's handsome, real-varnished, all-solid white pine studio with the framed group of the Sunshine Society Convention on the south wall. Gee, but it seemed unreal to me at that moment. The only reality was the picture of California that Stricky had just parked in my mind. It was as delicious as perfume. But I didn't lose my head. I'd met too many traveling men single-handed for that. California would be nice, I says, if you're sure I could get a job there. Why, there's nothing to it, he says again. With your face, your hair, your figure, and your height, about four feet eight, aren't you? I nodded. I thought so, he exclaimed. The ideal Hollywood height. Play opposite any man in the pictures without dwarfing him. That's important. I was talking to Charlie Chaplin not long ago about the very thing. So many queens are too tall to play across from him, you see. Well, I wasn't blind, of course, but my height was a talent of mine I hadn't considered before. However, I began to get an idea that maybe I was really as good as I had all along been hoping I was. I decided to present this bird's own check and see would he honor it. And so in a voice I could hardly control, I put it up to Stricky, put it up straight. Will you give me a job, Stricky? I says. Sure I will. Any time you come out, he says promptly, too promptly. Then he pulls out a card from a leather case with gold corners to it. You can always reach me there, says he. I took it and read it before tucking it away in the pocket of my seal plush coat. G. Robert Strickland, Silvermount Productions, Hollywood. There was a little silence for a moment while I did this, and I stretched it out on purpose because of revolving something further over in my mind. I ached to say it, but hardly dared. Suppose I pulled my demand and then found that I had also pulled a boner. Suppose my lack of complete trust in him got him off me for life, just as we was getting real friendly. 
If I lost my chance by being too businesslike, I might never get another like it again. Then on the other hand, I had been running things in Pop's store too long not to have learned that business is business, and friendship ought to always be to one side of it. I remembered this, and also that when I ordered a bill of goods for the store, I never hesitated to sign my name to the order, and so why should Mr. G. Robert Strickland? Of course, there was no comparison between ordering me and ordering a dozen cases of lemon soda, but the principle was the same in both instances. Realizing this great truth, that clean-cut business affairs makes friendships and never broke one yet, I decided to take a chance. Looking at him with my own peculiar trusting baby stare, I shot. And will you give me a contract, Stricky? Why, well, of course, says he, more surprised than I'd like. Now, I says, he laughed his gay laugh at that. Listen to the kid, he cried. Say, do you think I go around evenings with the legal department in my vest pocket? But you do make contracts, of course, Bert put in over the top of his glasses. Why, er, uh, certainly we do, says Strick. But our legal department has to draw them up. I haven't a form with me. Worse luck, or we might get it done right here in town. Then will you mail me one as soon as you get to the coast? I kept on at him. I'd like to have something definite before I start west. All right. I'll do that little thing, says Strick lightly. You said it, and I'll get you the best money a beginner ever had, Bonnie, my dear. How easy it was to get into pictures. What a snap! Just like I had read about a hundred times. All a person needed was a good screen face and half an opening, and I had both. All of a sudden I felt it was time to go home, to beat it while I had things where I wanted them. And outside of that, the strain had been something fierce for a few moments. Right now I wanted the air. I wanted to be alone so as to be able to pinch myself and be sure I was awake, and give myself a good look in the mirror. Stony Brook, Connecticut wasn't real any more. Only Bonnie McFadden was real. A hundred dollars a week, Bonnie McFadden's salary. A thousand a week before long, and some day I would be turning down twenty-five hundred per unless they slipped me a quarter interest in the picture as well, and all for dressing beautifully and walking around in front of a camera for a few minutes a day, on days when I felt willing to. I picked up my horrid old seal-plush coat and flung it on me with an ermine gesture and made my voice as bally english as stricky's had been before he got to talkin naturally it's so awfully late for stonybrook i says that i'd really better slip along home all right says stricky jumping up and grabbing his lid i'll see bonnie home bert while you lock up i'll be right back i like your crust says bert but i can take a hint when it's registered with an axe good night bert i says over my shoulders as i tuck my arm into stricky's remember you're a friend of mine and then the two of us slipped out into the cold wet street that didn't seem a bit either cold or nasty any more but like the road to heaven or something and as we walked along stricky pulled a line of kidding that would have done any girl's heart good if only they had been able to listen undividedly but i couldn't because of thinking what i would do when stricky saw where i lived what would i say how would i get away with it i was worried clean through say listen suppose i hadn't run up here to stay overnight with bert stricky was saying just by accident as one might say and say listen do you know he had to drag me to that show by main force what an escape eh baby say 
I wouldn't have missed you for a million. And to think I imagined tonight was going to be punishment. You won't mind me speaking of it, Bonnie, but it's not only your looks. It's your class that's got to me. Nothing small time about you. If there's one thing that makes me glad, it's class. And you sure have got it. Well, I didn't feel any more like cheering when he says that than before, because we had reached my home and he would have to know the awful truth. The house was looming up before us now, right in the center of town, enormous and sort of spooky and vague. The closed shutters, especially the high up ones in the mansard roof, give it a forbidding appearance even at night, and the pair of iron stags on the wide lawn seemed to sort of move in the swaying light of the street lamp. The front was all dark, of course, but down in the basement side entrance Pop had left a lamp burning for me. Well, this is as far as I go, I says laughing nervously. What? exclaimed Stricky. Is this where you live? The biggest place in town, isn't it? Ha! I guess so, I replied. He didn't say anything at once, but somehow his manner changed. I could feel it even in the dark as he took my elbow politely and started piloting me up the tar path toward the front door. I'm really awfully glad to have met you, Miss Bonnie, he says more in a manner he had used back in the hall. I hope you won't think I've had an awful crust, the way I've talked. I had no idea. Well, you're not going to forget me. It's the other door, where the light is, I says. And how can I forget you when I'm going to get a contract from you? Of course, says he. Then he took off his hat. Very respectful and charming. Good night, he says. It's been delightful. You will hear from me soon. Good night. Don't forget, I says, and went in, closing the basement door behind me. I stood there against the wall a minute, listening to the sound of his footsteps going away down the quiet street, and wondering what it was had changed him in those last few moments. Why the sudden respect? It wasn't cold feet. That was a cinch. It was awe. He was impressed. Good land. Impressed with the house. That was it. The enormous old show place of Stony Brook Center. I leaned back against the wall and laughed into my handkerchief so his pop wouldn't hear me. Way down the street, somebody, Stricky most like, had begun to whistle sharp and clear. You'd be surprised. I'll say he would, I whispered, if he knew pop and me were the caretakers here. End of chapter 2 Read by Marty on the Central Coast of California